Today, I am so excited to welcome to the show, Laura Gisborne. Laura is a highly successful business expert with over 20 years experience. From structuring and selling small boutique businesses to owning a multi-million dollar wine and real estate empire, <laughs> Laura has owned nine businesses, her first when she was only 23 years old. Laura is an internationally recognized speaker and serves as a business consultant for business leaders and entrepreneurs in a wide range of industries. The innovative business model of her company, Limitless Women, exemplifies that companies can be both profitable and purposeful. Through her initiatives, thousands of women and children are receiving regular contributions in multiple countries across five continents. She has served as a guardian ad litem. Did I say that right? Guardian ad litem. <laughs> ad litem. That's <laughs> <Sorry>. right. <laughs> For foster children through... Uh, Case, sorry, C-A-S-A, CASA, mm -hmm. Parent Education Coordinator for Family Outreach, Board Member for Habitat for Humanity, the New Peaks Foundation, and is the business engagement team of the Pachamama Alliance. <laughs> I love all these names. <laughs> I actually would probably could have taken some of these out, but they're all so important and really relevant for what Laura stands for. And so that's why I wanted to, to kind of let you know what she's about, you know, around all of this stuff. Anyway, she is the author of the book, Stop the Spinning, Move from Surviving to Thriving and Limitless Women, and has been featured as a guest expert on both CBS and ABC, as well as on the national hit show, The List. Yay! Hey, Laura, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Monica. Thank you. <laughs> so nice to see you again. Thanks, sweetie. Yeah. So Laura and on. I are actually part of a community called the Thriving Women in Business. Um, and we met at a luxury retreat with a bunch of other mm. women in Hawaii and just hit it off immediately. We have so much in common. So I wanted to have her on the show to just share all of her wisdom with you ladies. So, um, so Laura, why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about your real estate journey? Like what's your story around that? Yeah. Um, First of all, thank you so much for inviting me and I'm super excited to serve you and to help however I may today. So uh, just ask away whatever questions you'd like to ask. And so for the real estate journey, it's interesting. I started back in 1996, I went on a timeshare tour. I don't know if you've ever been on a timeshare tour or not, but it was kind of a fascinating thing. I had no idea what it was. I said to my husband at the time, we're not gonna buy anything, let's just go look, you know, kind of famous last words. <laughs> and the woman who was our real estate broker, uh, we, we just, again, kind of like you and I, we just hit it off. We had great affinity right away. And the kind of the story behind the story is that at that point, um, we had owned three restaurants in Texas. We'd sold them and moved to Arizona with the idea we're going to open up another, uh, another, a different kind of business, probably a bed and breakfast or something that we could do or a small hotel, something we could do where one of us could always be with our children. Um, and so uh, I, this woman who sold us a timeshare said, you know, you should get a real estate license. You'd be great at this. And I said, I don't, I, I, I've never sold anything in my life. You know, and my background is hospitality and law. You know, I thought I'd be a lawyer when I grew up. God had another plan, took me on all these adventures, but uh, that's a whole other story. So, um, so I thought, you know, she said, well, I need to go get a license. It took about two months at the time to get a license if you went full time. So I went, got my real estate license. I thought, well, this would be a good side hustle to do in the meantime, right? I'll get into real estate and do that for a little while while I'm building my next business. 
and you know, famous last words. So I started selling, I started doing really, really well in real estate. And then I started taking my commissions from real estate sales and buying real estate, um, which was kind of the piece. And, um, you know, leverage was a beautiful thing back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, so I would buy one piece of property and then get it kind of ramped up and then borrow against that property to buy the next one and so on and so forth. And so it just kind of one thing led to another. That's really exciting. And again, it's kind of intuitive investing, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, and that's kind of, that's what I did too. I did not become an agent, but once right. I started buying, I could just, you know, I would fix it up, have it increase its value and then take money right. out and buy the next one, buy the next one, buy the next one. Um, and so, it, and it's such an easy way to kind of go. And I think what I love about your story is that it shows women that this sort of thing is possible in a very sort of intuitive flowing way. Like there's mm -hmm. no magic here. You made some extra, some extra income. You decided to invest in property. That property appreciated because you added value. You took more money out and then you bought another piece of property yep. and just rinse and repeat. Right. Exactly. And so what I really want ladies to hear in this moment is how easy this can be, because I think, so many people out there are talking about the really cool ways, really exciting ways to make money in real estate, right? You could like buy everything, no money down. You can do right. lease options. You could do syndication. You can, but you know what? You don't have to know all of that stuff. You can mm -hmm. just buy a house. <laughs> you can start right. with one. That's right? right. I mean, that's really the piece. Start with one. And then um, my first husband and I got divorced uh, about almost two years after we'd moved to Sedona. And then I met my current husband. And uh, when he and I got married, he moved into my house. We turned his house into a rental, right? So it was mm -hmm. just kind of that piece. And then he said, I can buy you a diamond or I can buy this empty lot. And I was like, no, buy the lot. <laughs> diamonds later, diamonds later. Let's get some real estate, right? So it's just, you know, it's, it's a little catchy. You, know, you, you, you want to start collecting. And, and our strategy was to um, cash flow properties. Mm -hmm. I went to a real estate investing boot camp in 2004 with John Burley, um, who was a great, great guy, and um, really looked at what were the different strategies that were working. And, um, you know, what worked best for us over, over the years, I would say, has been that cash flow. Uh, we would buy a house and then we would carry the note for somebody who was having a challenge with uh, financing. We do owner finance for them and... Um, you know, just worked out great. And when they were ready and they were able to qualify, they were able to buy us out and it always became a great win for them too. Mm. So yeah. let's dive a little deeper in that because that's not actually mm -hmm. some, something people have talked a, little, a lot about in this show mm -hmm. is, um, so when we talk about cash flow, usually what people think is you buy a place, you rent it out for more than what you owe on it and that's how you make cash flow, right? Right. But there are lots of different ways to do cash lots flow. Of ways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so let's dive a little deeper in the owner financing route. Like we haven't yeah. had anybody talk about that. So could you break that down for us a little? Well, basically, um, you know, when you have decent credit, I think that's one of the things you have some, some questions always about, like, what do you need to get started? Good credit is, is a great asset. It's not necessary. It's not necessarily the only asset, because even if you struggle with credit, um, you can bring in partners. And that's also been another strategy that was very successful for us to joint venture with other investors so that we could pool our money together. You know, we'd put in 10%, they'd put in 10%, then we'd get our 20% down, and then we would go in and, you know, do a project. So that was a whole other, another side. But 
uh, generally we would buy a house and then um, you know the strategy behind this Monica was that uh, we lived in a very resorty area kind of like you live in a very high ticket area so as real estate investors um, kind of the rule of thumb that we found over the years is that if you drive out from the epicenter of your city the farther out you get you know the lower the prices of the houses become and we've always done well with cash flow properties for blue collar type families Mm-hmm. You know, firemen's, school teachers, um, folks that are just have great jobs, you know, they may not have a high, high revenue, but they have consistent income. They have um, really good job history. And usually, you know, I mean, again, it, people fall on hard times. I talk about that in my first book, you know. Um, I certainly went through my journey when I got divorced and it didn't make my life easy with my credit. I, I definitely made some bad mistakes, but I cleaned them up and was able to move forward. So when somebody's gone through some kind of life situation, a death, a divorce, or disease, you can generally look at their credit and find out, you know, was it an isolated time? Did they have a better history before? And banks are not always so forgiving, but as a lender yourself, you can be forgiving, right? You can actually find those people that you really trust and, and uh, work with them. And then a lot of times, again, that gives them the opportunity to get into a house. And what uh, kind of our structure was that we would have them pay I'm just going to use round numbers. Let's say somebody normally would pay $1,000 for rent if they were doing a lease option, right, which is the kind of the owner finance with us, we would have them pay more. So maybe they're paying $1,300, $1,400 a month, but a portion of that would be going towards the purchase of the property. So if they could get it together and then get their own financing, which we, which happened for every house we ever had in Arizona, we always, they always ended up cashing out, which was great. I mean, it was, ideally they think, you, you think like you just keep them as, is kind of high ticket renters for a long time, but that wasn't it. The goal was really to help them get into their own homes. So um, yeah, so you figure up a price, you buy your house, let's say for 100,000, and you decide you're gonna sell it to them for 120,000, or just using round numbers. They live there for a few years, pay you rent. And because they're in a lease option, um, you'd be a little more, what I'm gonna say, because you know they had an ownership in the property, they would take better care of the property first and yes. foremost, and they wouldn't call you for every kind of like, I need a new light bulb, right? Because it was their property, they, they had pride in that. Um, right. So yeah, so that's, you know, ask me other, any other questions you want yeah. to Yeah, kind of so structure. did you, yeah, do you normally, um, did you get a down payment from Oh, them? absolutely. Mm-hmm. And like absolutely. what percentage would you normally get? Um, I think it just depends on where they were. You know, because I think that's the other idea too. I know a lot of people that, um, you know, do we sell houses with no money down and they're basically glorified leases, mm-hmm. high ticket leases. Um, our intention was always to really have a win, have a win for mm-hmm. them and have okay. them be able to get to a place that they could uh, afford. But you did take some sort of down payment. So they sure. felt like they had bought, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and just, well, just like, let's say that you're doing a security deposit on a rental, you know, you do first, last and and one month security on a twelve hundred dollar right. property that's thirty six hundred. So maybe they, over the course of time, came up with five thousand. We didn't charge them much more. Got it. You know? Okay. Yeah. And Good. again, and again, the kind of the round numbers. We 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 love working class neighborhoods, working class families. Yeah. Those are the ones that get the hardest hit when the economy goes south. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and then when you, so it's really interesting with a lot of the owner financing that I've seen, um, mm-hmm. they're structured a little bit differently. So what kinds of percentages do you normally give them towards their house, for instance, as opposed to just, do you, do you see what I'm saying? Are you asking about the finance, what the interest rate was? Kind, well, yeah, yeah so. I guess kind of, right? Well, because, think, yeah, because here's the other thing too. So people that are, are credit challenged, 
mm -hmm. used to paying a little bit more interest. Mm -hmm. right? So um, there, the interest didn't come into the um, into the equation so much as what I would say, like if I could give you kind of a base rate, it would normally be like whatever your ideal, like right now, interest rates you'll see out there are like 3%, mm -hmm. you might charge 5%. Got it. You know, I charge a little bit higher interest rate because mm -hmm. it was a higher risk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. But it was really more, you know, really more tied into the lease option. Got it. So you would charge an interest rate and everything else went towards paying down their house. Correct. Okay. Great. And did you normally still have um, a loan on that property when you did yes. this? You yes. did. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is such an interesting structure. I've never seen it like that before. Yeah. 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 It worked well for our family. And again, what, what it made us feel good to be able to do to help people get into houses that couldn't get in otherwise. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. It's so, um, you're right. They're the ones that usually get hit so hard when things go bad. And mm -hmm. it's not that they don't want to own homes for their families. And it's not that they don't work hard enough for it. Exactly. Right. But they just. Well, and just the idea of, you know, a 10% down payment, you know, is just so hard for them versus if they can come up with a little bit down and then pay a little bit more each month. It's like a savings account for them to move towards where they have the equity. And then the house is also appreciating at the same time, you know, mm -hmm. fingers crossed. It was it was all these years in Arizona, so it's appreciating. So then when they go to refinance and qualify for a more traditional loan, they've got some equity in there, they've got their down payment, and they would cash us out. So how, off, how quickly do they normally cash you out? How quickly do they normally buy? Average two to three years. Wow, that's fast. Mm -hmm. okay. But that's, an, again, in a market where lending was more flexible. Now we don't know what's going to happen now after COVID, what kind of, it's going to be interesting to see what the banks do right now. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah, right yeah. now interest rates are at an all time record low and certain things are easier than others. You know, I mean, certain mm -hmm. things are easier to get financing for than others. So. And do you help them with getting their credit fixed if they've had any problems or you just allow it to sort of season no. its way out? No, I think they season. Cause again, if they're motivated to, uh, you know, to buy and to purchase, they know they have to make their payments on time. They, you know, Got it. It's an inch. I've met a lot of people over the years, Monica, who have fallen on hard times or good people mm -hmm. that just needed a chance. Yes. To pull it together and, and, and get back on their feet. Yeah. I really, really love that. Just yeah. so one of the things, ladies, that I really love about Laura is her whole outlook on life is she wants to be a limitless woman herself. So she believes in time freedom, um, emotional freedom, financial freedom, right? She believes in true freedom and being truly limitless and then the, lifting up the people around her. So she'll, she reaches out into the world in so many ways, whether it's being on boards of you know, charities or, or um, whether it's the way that she finances people in her homes or the way that she coaches her business um, coaching clients and everything that Laura does, her aim is to lift those people around to be significantly better off than they were before. And part of what, what really struck me about Laura in the very beginning when I first met her is She's always, how can I be a service of you? What for you? What can I do in this moment to, to help you? And so she comes from this place that I call one of my um, bliss tenants, right? Which is to give back to the world, to really be of service. Because when we're out there serving, it's really, really hard to feel bad inside. Right, right. <laughs> right? So we're being you. of service, yeah. right? But it mm -hmm. also fills us up. It gives us 
more to think about, to do, to feel good about, you know, um, and, and it also helps us to raise the vibration around us because mm-hmm. anybody who then is going to come around us are going to be people that are just like that, that have that same vibration, that same intention, the same kind of bliss in their life. Wouldn't you say? I would. It's so interesting. I'm just, I was listening to a sermon. Uh, I went to a yoga class right before you and I had this interview and I was listening to a sermon on the way. And one of the things he was talking about was um, how much we can be around people that pull us down mm-hmm. and how important it is for us to always surround ourselves with others who lift us up. So I, I feel like I'm hearing it twice. <laughs> God must be giving me a message today. Uh, yeah. This idea of who we surround ourselves with is so important. And, and we want to be with people that inspire us. We want to be with people that lift us up and that see us when we have a hard time seeing ourselves. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And are kind and generous and uplifting, you know, even I know so much of the time when I, I'm not down as often as I had been, like a lot of my journey to bliss was because my life experience was very, very unhappy, right? Mm -hmm. And so we often focus on the things that have challenged us ourselves, right? But I remember learning very early on this this thing that everybody says, you become like the five people you spend the most time with, right? And it sounds really, really trite. But the truth is the most time that you spend with people, those are the people that are going to influence you the most. So it's important that you decide who you want those people to do it, to be. And you do actually have control over that. Now we don't have control over family. (laughs) And I'm not saying don't, I mean, dump your family. You don't want to do that. But you do want to make sure that when you're out there in the world that you're, you're choosing, when you have a choice, mm-hmm. you're choosing people that are going to really support the joy in your life, that are going to help to uplift you and are also going to support your values. Like Absolutely. I can't imagine Laura ever hanging out with someone that did not believe in, in philanthropy, right? Mm. Well, I think, you know, I, I've been it's not a new journey for me, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the work that I do today, that's all about business training to lift women so that they can use their profits for purpose. Mm-hmm. All of that's come as a typical overnight cessation, right? You know, I started volunteering with 30 years ago now. Uh, yeah, I was 23 and I'm 53 this year. So 30 years ago, I started volunteering. And um, while I was building my private sector life, as you will, you know, our restaurants, our retail stores, our real estate, and our wine business, I was always volunteering as a separate, so I felt like I had two, one foot in either world, if you will. I had a private sector world and then my volunteer world. And what's really been beautiful, you know, over these last, I'd say really the last five years, for sure, we put our stake in the sand and made our whole business about fundraising and raising awareness. And even prior to that, even when we were percolating this business, uh, starting about 2012, it was, um, that was always a common theme you know, how do we use this opportunity to, when I say this, I don't want to sound arrogant, we're good. You know, we've raised our children, we, we've traveled the world, or uh, my husband had a terminal diagnosis three years ago, and today he is healthy and on track, and we're so thrilled, and we really try to celebrate every day that we get to have together. So um, for us, the, the motivation is not about how do I just you know make more money. That's not a motivation for me. I'm more curious about how I can use my experience and my voice to lift up other women so that they can find sufficiency and freedom for their, their families and then join us in the contribution phase. Because what we know is that 
Uh, it's very difficult, what we know from experience of doing this work now, um, is that it's very difficult for women to see themselves as philanthropists and givers when they're struggling financially. Mm-hmm. So we need to help them get to sufficiency first. Yeah, that's such an interesting perspective because I think you and I both started at a place where we weren't in a financial place that people would normally think of us as givers, mm-hmm. right? I started my philanthropic journey when I was 16, living in India, right? I, I mentioned right. that on your show, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And I didn't have a lot of money and we started to just volunteer time, um, a little bit of money. For me, it was $10 a month, right? So great. I love it. Yeah. yeah right. So, um, so yes, it's very important that we feel lifted up enough. You don't want to give when you don't feel like you have. You never want to give yeah. more than you than you feel you can give. And that is true, whether it's of your heart, of your time, or of your money, right? Well, I think, you know, I think there's a little paradox in that for me, Monica, mm-hmm. only because, you know, it's my, it's my understanding and my core premise at this point, um, you know, at this point, almost in the, my mid-50s, I grew up in a family that was very poor and that mm-hmm. did not have access to resources and no one had ever been to college, you know, it was just really that whole idea of education and freedom and it just wasn't, it wasn't something that we had access to and didn't know that we had access. Um, but, you know, my parents did their best to ingrain in me uh, a can-do attitude, you know, and a willingness to work hard. And, and I think I've always been a very good student. So um, there's been a lot of gifts and a lot of things that have come through that helped me, again, what I couldn't see myself. And what I can tell you is that the most successful people that I know today and that I've had the blessing of knowing throughout my journey at this point are people who were always generous of heart, generous of spirit. It wasn't someday when they got wealthy that they gave. It was through the giving, through the stretching, through the expansion. I think there's something in that for us. I, I really believe that giving causes growing. So it's an interesting uh, paradigm when, when women come to one of our programs and they want education on how to build a business. And I ask them to make a donation in exchange for their education there's a, you know, often a little hesitancy if that's a new paradigm for them. They mm-hmm. haven't done it before. And I say, you know, if you can afford to invest in yourself here, you can afford to give there, right? And it, what it does is it starts them being expanded. They know that they can, just as they know they can, then they start being a whole different level of leader. Mm, I love yeah. that. So we're kind of saying the same thing. And let me sort of tell you what I, where I was kind of headed with this. I feel that women um, often overgive in their homes. Mm. They say yes too often. So that's more of what I was referring to about we do need to keep ourselves filled up emotionally and internally um, and mentally so that we can then stand in our own power in the world. So that's kind of what I was referring to there. But what's also very, very funny is this, um, and I've talked to people too, that you, um, you will never expand until you understand that being of service is the most important thing. And when you are able to sort of start to understand that, then you expand in every way, right? You expand emotionally, you expand in your capacity to give, your, your compassion, um, your wisdom, right? Your personality and also wealth. As a matter of fact, my husband learned something from me very early on. We were broke as newlyweds. And I remember one day he was, you know, we were talking about the budget and I said, well, I really want to donate. I still have to donate to the temple. And he says, well, we're just pass on it this year. And I said, no, actually, we're going to double it this year, which really frustrated him. 
but for me that when I start to close down, when I start to cringe, like I can't, when I start to feel that I can't do it is when I open up even more because then that releases all of that. And now money starts to flow. Energy starts to flow. Creativity starts to flow. Does that make sense? It sounds like it's your story. It sounds like it's your truth. Yeah. But do you find that that's also true for other people? Um, I think it depends on where they are. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, there's some truth in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I think when mm -hmm. somebody's in survival mode, if I'm, I'm, I'm always in awe when I meet people who live on, you know, less than $3 a day who find a way to give. Yes. So there's a place where a lot of times there's a spiritual component that kicks in. Most people that I meet in the developed world um, are still running the myth of not enough. Mm -hmm. And so they're still trying to be more, do more, have more. And yet, if they can't overcome that, then, then my conversation is not the right conversation for them. Mm -hmm. You know, if they're really stuck in that, then all we can do is love them and, and try to support them as much as we can with where they are. Yeah, I love that. Talk, why do you define what you mean by limitless woman? Such a good question. I don't think anybody's ever asked me that. Um, you know, I think, Monica, uh, let me just talk about, let me talk about another Monica that I love <laughs> and I'm so inspired by. Um, Monica Niragawabwa, who you're familiar with also uh, as a donor for Girl Up Uganda through Katarina's Writing Women in Business Giving Circle. Yes. Um, when I met this woman who's in her mid-30s and started to learn more and more about her story, first of all, she's incredibly humble, so you don't you really know that until you start getting in there and digging in. Um, she grew up in the slums of Kampala. She had her first pair of shoes at age 13. She had to pay, you know what, again, people may or may not know this, but in, in most places in the world, education is not free. So she had to come up with school fees. Her parents had to decide, do we send our son to school or do we send our daughter to school? So they decided to send their son because chances are he would stay in the village versus her getting married and moving away from the village. Um, so she was just so resourceful. She started selling vegetables. She's found a way to make her own school fees. And she started this at about age seven. So it's just mind boggling to me. She went on, the, um, the government of Uganda partnered with the University out of London and created a scholarship fund for five students in the entire country. There were 5,000 applicants. She was one of the five students who got the scholarship. Went to England, got a master's degree, stayed on as a master's degree in public policy, and then came back to Uganda, to the slums. And I promise you, when I say the slums, I mean no electricity, no water, no roads, no transportation. Okay? and decided to dedicate her life to lifting up other young women so they wouldn't have to be you know, in a family or a family had to choose. So that to me is a limitless woman. Everything that was presented to her was what we would consider, I believe, a limitation. And she chose not to see it that way. She, she chose to stay very deep in her faith, to keep taking the next step that she could. And she today, you know, she's an Obama scholar, she's spoken to the United Nations, she's been on the Today Show. And she's right there in Uganda in the trenches, making a difference for hundreds of thousands of girls. You know, I think that a lot of times when we face adversity in our lives, when we face um, things that could be in the way, perspective is really important. It's really important. You know, that, that's for me, uh, there's nothing at this point in my life that gives me more excited than supporting a woman like that that's out to change the world. Mm -hmm. 
Well, that was an amazing story. Thank you so much for sharing it. Yeah, I think she's a limitless woman. That's, you know, to me, the epitome of a, a woman who overcomes amazing adversity and an ordinary girl yeah. with extraordinary faith and perseverance. And she chose not to just make it about herself. She has nine adopted daughters. Wow. And she's 36 or 38. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. I don't actually want to follow that up with anything that was insanely beautiful. <laughs> Well, you know, I, she, she's my she's my current and relevant hero, and I have many of them. Uh, you know, and it's really this work of how do we as women lift each other up? How do we as women um, really continue to shift the idea that there's any competition? You know, there's no competition. There's a, a tremendous amount of abundance in the world. There's a tremendous amount of resources, and if we've been blessed to have an opportunity to do well for ourselves, meaning that we've reached sufficiency, we've been able to take care of ourselves, take care of our families. Who else can we help so that they can do the same? You know, this is really it. My family of origin, God bless them, could not help me past a certain point because they didn't have any reference, they didn't have any perspective. There were other people who saw me from the outside who said, hey, you can do this. There's other possibilities. You know, somebody has to open up, shine a light, of what's possible. And, um, you know, again, I feel like I've been very blessed up to this point. And totally. All, all, all the way blessed, I would say, up to this point, as long as God lets me stay here. <laughs> it's good. It's good, to be, good to be here. Yeah. 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 So good. So good. So, Laura, how can people reach you if they want to get in touch with you and find out more? Thanks. Thanks for asking. So, um, I think probably the easiest way to get connected with me is through the web, obviously. Um, if you go to Free Gift Friday, you can opt in for a copy of my first book, Stop the Spinning, Move from Surviving to Thriving, in which case I tell my own Limitless Woman story, where I came from and where life has taken me, a little bit of that journey, and um, kind of the power-up formula, the, the tools and the resources that, that I use and that the most successful women I know use to keep themselves on track financially and with their time and their operations and their community. Um, and then, you know, you can always contact me through the website, limitlesswomen.com. There's a contact us form that comes right to me. Awesome. Yay. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for that. Thanks for yes. asking. <laughs> and I, ladies, I would go there and get that book. That sounds absolutely amazing. I know I'll be thank doing you. that. So thank you. Thanks, so Laura, are you ready for our three rapid fire questions? Yes. Your rapid fire questions. <laughs> So give us one super tip on getting started in real estate investing. In real estate investing specifically, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I think that one of the, the fastest ways that you can really grow your real estate business is to get comfortable with using other people's money. And when you think like an investor, you actually look at how the profit on a property is made when you buy it, not when you sell it. And you get really clear about your numbers and your metrics, which all is part of the education you can bring in business partners because everyone will run out of their own money at some point. If you want to keep growing, you want to keep expanding your business. So learn early on how to make it a win for other investors. So a lot of people that don't necessarily have the time or the inclination to get the education. So if you're one of those women who's motivated by getting the education, understanding how to do this, and then you partner with someone who's an investor who wants to actually just get a good return on their investment, but they don't want to have to do all the work. You know, that's, that's probably the best super tip that moved us the fastest. Nice. Mm -hmm. And what would you say is a strategy to be really successful 
as a real estate investor? Um, I think you have to get really clear about what your revenue generating activities are. You know, if you're not writing offers on houses, if you're not actually connecting with investors and bringing in joint venture partners, if you're not, um, you know, advertising your properties and finding leases, you, you've got to get really clear, like, where are the actions that actually drive your revenue, not shopping. Shopping isn't as fun as that is. That's not always the, the best thing to be spending your time on. You know, it gets clear, get clear about your paradigms, get your education in place, and then get into action with the actions that are going to actually bring in revenue to your company. Mm, I love that. And then what is one daily practice that you would say contributes to your personal success? Well, I'm a very faith-based person. So I'm in a lot of conversations with God throughout the day. And, and I don't get out of bed, you know, never say never, but almost every day I don't get out of bed without a deep uh, gratitude practice. You know, really, I, I have, I have an incredible amount of blessings. I've overcome an incredible amount of adversity by American standards. And at the same time, um, you know, I, I know that we get more of what we focus on. So I, I'm constantly in prayer and gratitude for all the good things that are happening and um, open-minded and allowing myself to be led to what the next step is. Mm. I love that. That's so great. Thank you so much. I love also how you talk about you've been, um, you've, you've had a lot of adversity according to American standards. <laughs> Let's yeah, keep well, it in know, perspective. I think that there's that place, you know, as a child, I was sexually molested and I experienced a tremendous amount of abuse and I was in a domestic violence relationship in my late teens. And I, I you know, this is the piece, not that those things weren't hard. They were very hard. Mm -hmm. And I always had a roof over my head and I had fresh water. You know, so I think that sometimes, you know, today, the perspective I have after working globally in charity projects, um, it humbles me, mm -hmm. it humbles me what people are capable of creating and, and achieving with very, very little in the way of resources. So uh, I'm inspired to see how many of them I can continue to support. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, you. Laura, I've loved this conversation. Thank you for what you've offered by ladies. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been great. And ladies, thank you so much for joining Laura and I for this amazing Limitless conversation. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you next time. You know how much I appreciate you. And always remember, goals without action are just dreams. So get out there, take action, and create the life your heart deeply desires. We'll see you soon. Bye.